Well, hello and welcome to the um, the podcast that actually, as yet, has no name. Uh, I am uh, Andy Bannister. I wear various hats, including uh, running the Solas Centre for Public Christianity up in Scotland, and I do a bit of writing and speaking and various other things. And I'm joined by two great uh, friends of mine, uh, Aaron Edwards, who also wears uh, various hats, including teaching at Cliff College down in Derbyshire, and Michael Otts, who wears various hats, including paddling on the River Thames and being an evangelist. <laughs> and uh, Gentlemen, um, welcome to the well, well, welcome. It's always all of our show, anyway. But great to great to have you on this first podcast, Aaron, Michael. How are you doing today? Well, yeah, all right, thank you. Yeah, now, very good, thank you. Very good. Now, here's the thing. I said just a moment ago, this po- this podcast has no name. So there's a story here before we dig into today's topic. Right, this podcast until a minute ago had a name. It was going to be called What Kind of Podcast, which we thought was clever and subversive and a little bit pomo and various other things. And then Otz, Michael Otz, literally 30 seconds before I press the record button goes, actually, I've got a better idea. Why don't we call it Three Men in a Podcast? Michael, what's going on? What's 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 with Three Men in a Podcast? And why do you prefer that? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, what kind of podcast? I didn't want to be a bit arrogant and try and be sounding like I was selling my books or anything like that, because obviously it's similar to a book that I may have writ- written once. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I do. I do live about 100 metres from the River Thames. So we thought, you know, three men in a boat, three men in a podcast could work. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron, where, where do you stand on this? What kind of podcast? Three men in a podcast? What do you uh, think? I did. I did watch Three Men and a Baby. And Three Men and Little Lady growing up. So clearly there are, you know, childhood memories of those. Is it Tom Selleck? Was that, was he in that? It movie? was. Yeah, yeah. Him of, um, him of, um, oh, what was the, what was the, uh, the, the detective he played for a while? My brain's gone completely. Uh, Magnum. He was Magnum. Yes, he was. And he was also on Friends, wasn't he? He was Richard on Friends. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So, well, that, I don't know if, they, I, I wondered if, is that enough of a draw? Have people seen that, that those films and have they got them in their head? I don't know. But it does, I think it's well, quite, it's good. It's, if you've it's, not it's, three men in a boat, you've got to, basically. You've, you've not really, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic. Yeah. Well, I think what we're going to do, because rather than fill an entire podcast with a discussion about what to call the podcast, because, you know, what our two listeners are probably already thinking about going and doing something more interesting, like uh, like watching paint dry. Um, we're going to we'll do a vote. I think we'll do a vote on, on, on social media and stuff. And we'll see. We'll see how many you know millions of votes we get for the two titles. <laughs> And uh, and then hopefully when this uh, by the time we, we go to episodes three or four, the podcast with no name will have a name. Right. Well, today let's get on to the more serious stuff. The uh, the podcast with no name, but we'll have that name eventually. We thought we'd set this thing up because we felt that um, that Aaron and Michael and I thought we needed a, a podcast that really talked about the big issues of culture, um, some of the big challenges that face Christians, you know, living in the twenty first century with all that's going on. And there are lots of shows out there that talk about that from a secular perspective. There's brilliant stuff out there, but not a lot that we found doing that from a you know unapologetically Christian perspective. So today we want to look at the whole issue of church. Uh, over the next kind of half an hour or so, because obviously with the COVID pandemic, uh, that's affected church in, in a huge way. Where I live in Scotland, churches can't meet. Church are very limited in, in England and other parts of the UK. And of course, lots of churches have moved on online and, and using Zoom and so forth. But the question I want to think about, and I might start with um, with Aaron's take on this, and then Michael, come come to you. I think a question that lurks behind the scenes here, Aaron, is is what is church? Is it the building? Is it the people? Is it just a delivery mechanism for a sermon? And so you can just go online and download it 
digitally? Or is there some aspect of church that isn't actually church unless there is some kind of physical connectivity and uh, and and meeting together you're a you're a professional uh, theologian and troublemaker so um what, what do you think what's your take on that yeah always good to be a professional troublemaker um like the apostles themselves of course um i think <clears throat> yeah you're, you're right that there's this this last year has certainly thrown up this question of what is church in in fresh ways i mean many people have already been thinking about it in other avenues but for Almost the entire church, they've had to think about this question. The people in the pews, uh, even though they can't sit on pews <laughs> at the moment, um, who are having to think, not just leaders going, right, what do we do? How do we structure things? What do we give priority to in our meetings, in our gatherings? Um, everyone's starting to think, hang on, what is this thing? And I think um, there's a, it's been a, such a, a drive towards the um, sort of Zoom conferencing and the the ways in which we can get really good uh, tech going. So there's certain churches that have been almost privileged in that position because they have really good tech guys um, who can get stuff up and running really quickly. And so therefore we've gotten used to doing this very quickly just to kind of solve the pragmatic solution and people are getting kind of comfortable with it. So it does raise all these issues kind of like, is is this okay? And then a post pandemic, can we just go, go back to this? Cause it's a lot more convenient for people they might think and all the rest of it. And I think it depends on what your denomination is or your church background, church tradition is as to whether this is going to cause more of a problem. So there's certain evangelical churches, especially sort of free, free churches who, for whom it's, it's not as big a deal because they um, are already used to speaking about the church, not being a building. They don't have a particularly high view of the sacraments, for example, in terms of baptism and, and, um, and communion or the Eucharist. And so the, the physical gathering of space in a, in a certain space doesn't have as much of a sort of sacred draw uh, to it. And it's always about the people connecting outside of the Sunday meeting. But there's other denominations where the Sunday gathering is so vital and it's important that it's on a Sunday and it's important that they gather and, and hear the preaching of the word and, and, and share the sacraments together. Um, and, and they even sometimes meet twice. You get Presbyterian churches. You know, In Scotland, I was in a church, Presbyterian church for a while, which met twice and the, the pastor had to prepare two sermons for the, the morning and the evening because they, their, their view is it's it's all about that Sunday gathering and that, that punctuates the week and it sets them up and they have a theology as to why that matters. Whereas there's others that it doesn't matter so much at all. So you can just take it all away, uh, all of the kind of trappings and do it all online. It doesn't seem to make a difference to how that works. But I think when we do that, um, we sort of end up losing the importance of that one-to-one physicality which is important i think um we last time we, we all spoke about this i was referring to two and three john uh, where there's those little um notes at the end of those letters mm-hmm. there's very short letters but that hardly anyone bothers reading where he does say uh you know I, I i'm writing to you with pen and ink or with paper and ink but my long to see you face to face and he means face to face right there not face to face on zoom or whatever equivalent would be so although it's good to use the technologies we have available i do think they sometimes impinge upon what what church really is when you're when you're talking about people coming together, knowing each other, being accountable in a particular place, um, and doing mission together where they are in that place as well. Those things are really key, and I think some of those things kind of end up drifting off. So there's obviously lots more to say, but I'll I'll just pause myself there. You can jump onto Michael. Yeah, well, I was going to say. I mean, um, there's there's a couple of things I want to come back on you to you there on Aaron, but so it'd be good to bring Tim Reichel in. I described Aaron. I described you as a professional troublemaker i guess that therefore makes michael an unprofessional troublemaker. <laughs> but, you know, there we are. um michael obviously you know you're mm. you know you're an evangelist like like i am and and i've got your mind your your mind and your your focus often set on those outside the church and you know one question occurred to me 
as I was thinking about this, is there an issue with church uh, as churches moved online because of the pandemic? Is there an issue around the whole idea of church as public witness? Is there something about the church that, you know, when you're meeting, meeting out there in the public square, people can see that, you know, folks are going into church on Sunday, the church can have its doors flung open. But if your church has become a private Zoom link um, that isn't there in the public square, have we lost something in terms of our, our outreach and our, and our communication into the world? What, what what do you think? Yeah, I think you could see it one of two ways. I mean, you could turn it around and say, well, actually, you know, having stuff online has made the church more accessible um, to some people, certainly some of our neighbours and friends have been to church for the first time during the pandemic. I say go to church as in like inverted commas. Uh, obviously, it's online. Um, and, and certainly even before the pandemic, people would have often tried before they buy in the sense of like, you know, if there's a ch- if it, where churches put a kind of online stream, a lot of people would often check that out before they turned up to the building. So, so I'm not saying it's it's kind of like we're going underground. There are ways of making it quite visible even when we're online. Um, but I guess the flip side to that is to say, if we just kind of close our doors and say, like, it's fine, we can basically effectively close down, then what does that say about the importance of the church um, to those outside it? Um, you know, we believe that things that are essential have to stay open. And when people walk past the church that's just closed up again for another two, three months or whatever, um, does that basically communicate that those who are in the mm-hmm. church see this as a kind of non-essential activity? And I think that's concerning. You know, we all need to go to Tesco's. We all need to do certain things. Um, but actually, does the church you know, say, well, we don't really need to keep meeting in that way? Yeah. That essential thing is really interesting, you know, because that really hit us as a family personally mm. recently because we've been we've been doing we've been meeting for because because churches can't properly meet here in Scotland we've been doing outdoor church with one other kind of one mm. other family so very very restricted uh, you know meeting outdoors on a on a Sunday just us and the kids who uh, you know so it's 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 totally kind of COVID safe mm. but last Sunday the weather was really bad and so we were on the verge of calling it off mm. and then one of us went hang on a moment you know Christians in North Korea can literally, you know, uh, you know, run the risk of life and limb. Mm. They're willing to, you know, meet in like public lavatories and in, pr- in lavatories and prison camps mm. or in, you know, really, really dingy circumstances to meet safely. And they're so hungry to meet, they'll do that. And here's us, you know, as Western Christians going, oh, it looks like rain today. So, you know, <laughs> we won't do church. And yeah. that really got us thinking about, is there an issue about how essential church is for us as Christians? Mm. Maybe... As Western Christians, we become a little bit lazy and church is like, it's a nice thing to do, but you know what? It can't happen right now. So I'll just substitute it with a, with a podcast or am I being too, I'm including myself in that. So I'm not beating up on the church here. You know, that was a kind of wake up call for us. Um, am I onto something? No, absolutely. And I think sometimes you don't realize the importance of something until you don't have it. And I think, it, I hope that maybe one of the positives that comes out of this pandemic and all that's happened is that people value the importance of being able to to physically gather as a church um and and what that does for us and i think not having something you know and, and we've realized that actually there's so much that you just can't replicate online yeah you can listen to a talk you can um yeah you can have certain aspects and try and recreate them online but but not being physically together you are missing something significant and we're starting to realize that so i think in the beginning of the pandemic people were thinking oh it's great you know we can do church online this is just going to be the way it is from now on whereas I wonder whether we've kind of come full circle to the point of saying okay we've had that for quite a while now and and actually we now appreciate what we didn't have and um, 
my prayer would be that we actually, when we can go back and not be socially distanced and everything else and be able to really enjoy that and to appreciate that and to make the most of that in a way that maybe we've taken for granted in the West particularly. But like you say, for other parts of the world, that's been something that they've had to cherish because it's been under threat and we haven't had it under threat until this year. Mm -hmm. So that could be a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think as you can jump in, Michael, uh, on the stuff about, um, you you mentioned earlier about the opportunities for local mission Mm -hmm. as well, um, Mm -hmm. and engaging the local area. That's something, another one of these things that's, that's been spotlighted, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Because we, We've had to, because we've been limited to our closer proximity, people in there have got to know their neighbours more. Um, they've been able to engage with them in evangelistically in loads of ways. We've had some wonderful uh, conversations with people. Um, and, and it sort of feels more more appropriate to be doing that. You've been forced to do it. But many people in churches, rather than driving across you know, 10 miles or whatever mm-hmm. to, to across the city or five miles across their city to the church, they go to they're actually just focusing missionally on, on those around mm. them and i think churches are starting to think intentionally our church for example is is doing that it's trying to right how do we organize people in hubs where they actually are um live in closer proximity so that mission can be a little bit more coordinated yeah. where you are and that's one of those things that's been really helpful but mm. um it, it does help us think again about also the physical space or f- physical kind of gatherings what why are we why do we meet physically because we've never we've often never had to think mm. about why that matters mm. Um, and sometimes you kind of go to the church and it almost doesn't matter that you weren't, that you were there physically. Yeah. Mm. And so we now have to go, right, why is it good to be there physically? Is it is there a good reason for this? Or can we just do it? As you say, Andy, you mm. know, download something on Zoom um, mm. as an equivalent. I and mean, you can probably find a better sermon online. You could find, find a better worship time. You could cultivate or, or curate mm. your own worship service, which mm. is of a great standard. But it's not the same because you're not in a community. There aren't people who know you. Um, and then there's no sort of sense of continuity there. So it's and you're totally in control of the process. Um, mm. and that's sort of one of the issues, isn't it? That, but just, kind of that we don't, yeah, yeah. But, and I think um, I think on that, just to pick up on that, and happy for for Aaron you to come back on this or, or Michael jump in. You know what you said there, and something you said earlier reminded me of you know the the uh, the Canadian uh, philosopher Marshall McLuhan. You know, often sort of you know known as the sort of father. Of, uh, of media theory you know it's yeah. famous for that little quote you know the medium is the message yeah. um, by which he meant there's a lot of people often misunderstood what he means what he meant by that i think is that the the medium by which a message is conveyed restricts and shapes to some way you know what is conveyed and a good example of that would be would be things like twitter you know you can't have a substantive conversation on twitter the very the very nature of a of, a, of the 280 mm. character limit and the type of communication it is ends up restricting what you can do and i do wonder whether we're learning this in the church right now around things like zoom as you say there are some great things we can do there are some things that maybe we can do we couldn't do before yeah. but there's also a whole range of things we can't do because mm. certain things just can't be digitized and brought into that space and of course yeah. I, i'm quite intrigued i think and more increasingly interested in how you know we haven't so much moved our church services on 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 zoom as allowed zoom to shape the kind of church services yeah. uh that we have as the as the medium has mm. become the message mm. Mm. yeah that's a good point i think there's you know issues about technology and you, you know mentioned McLuhan and, and those just neil postman and others who yes. have, have made these sort of been, but for years, been making these sort of observations about Western culture and the way in which you know our entertainment platforms, even even pre social media, but then how much more so post social media, um, are affecting the way we live our lives in, in all these different ways. And I think um, in terms of, it's one of those things again where the church has been running behind, kind of caught napping almost, realizing, oh, we haven't thought about this, right? We're in a crisis. Let's jump on all the technology. 
and sit and I presume we'll just use it as a tool because then no one, no church leader goes up and goes, right, I want this to fundamentally shape the identity of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Everyone will always use things as an instrument and, and take try to take advantage and, and use it as a tool. But the tools so often do end up shaping the center, the core, without people realizing that's sort of the nature of it. But I do think there's another side to that as well, obviously, because we've got to be aware that technology is not something to be clearly you know, scared of. It's something the church has used in all sorts of different ways. Even the way we um, have have scripture coming to us, obviously, is a form of technology which wasn't available uh, to the earliest church. Mm -hmm. Even the way you know, the way that we pick up a Bible, what a what a blessing that is to pick up a, a sixty six books of the Bible. Well. Paul is talking to Timothy about passing on, you know, go and pick up the scrolls and manuscripts that I've got here that I left over here. So please, can you um, bring them with you? And reading the Bible in scroll form is even different to reading it in codices, which came later. And then people at the time would have gone, oh, it's so different now because you can't read it in the scroll. There's something about the scroll that was sacred. <laughs> and it was, you know, this, that happens almost every generation with the printing press and all the rest of it. So I guess this is, could be something like that, where we should just be thanking God for the, the blessing of the technology. I think we do need to that has to be a healthy approach to technology. But the other side we just always forget is that, as I say, the medium uh, does become the message. And, and churches get into that before they've even realized it. You could just we get into the habit of just aping whatever the world does and just doing it a little bit worse um, and trying to kind of stay on top of you know the game so that we, we seem like we're, um, we're keeping going. But what are we actually keeping mm -hmm. going is the challenge. And that's where going back to Scripture continually about what is the church supposed to be as the body of Christ as these gifts brought together by the Holy Spirit mm. to kind of encourage one another and to challenge one another in these ways. How do we keep on that, um, you know, whilst we're trying to keep things going for the sake of our institutions or whatever? I think mm. just to pick up on that, Aaron, I think it's interesting. I've often, um, when we've done university missions, uh, said, you know, the reason why we put on meals and invite people to come and have food before they hear a talk is not just because we're bribing poor students to come and like come to an event because they can't afford to eat. Um, although, you know, it does have a certain, you know, yeah. attractiveness to, to a bankrupt student. But actually, because we're trying to um, basically demonstrate something of the gospel by the event that we're putting on. Yeah, the gospel says, you know, the gospel is an invitation to a feast, isn't it? That's one of the analogies, the metaphors of the gospel uh, that we see in scripture. And so sitting there together, enjoying a meal together is actually adorning and illustrating the very message you're trying to communicate. Um, and then I was thinking, you know, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel, you know, you mentioned um, two and three John, but of course, John starts his gospel by saying, you know, the word becomes flesh. He starts his letters by talking about yeah, the one that we've seen and touched. Yeah. And there's a sense of the incarnation is really important yeah. to the whole gospel. It's God who becomes physical. Yeah. And so when we suddenly take our message and we detach it and we make it non-physical, yeah. actually, instead of underlining our message, we're undermining it, you might say, because we're, we're actually communicating. You know, when you sit and do something physical like having a meal, yeah. you're communicating even more powerfully what you're saying. Yeah. But actually, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So, Andy, can I just jump one? Just on the back of that, it's a really good point, for Michael. Just to say about the physicality thing, and as a as someone who's an evangelical charismatic, we do have a tendency in our uh, church tradition to make things a little bit more like Gnostic, kind of flesh bad spirit, mm -hmm. and so we end up thinking almost when you go to church, you go and and, and partake in the worship time, and you close your eyes the entire time. Yeah. Like, um, and you're engaging one-on-one -on -one with God, but you just happen to be in the same room as everyone else. <laughs> and so you almost end up thinking, yeah, what is the what is the value of being here physically um, when you can have your engagement with God on this spiritual level 
separately. Mm. And I think there's there's loads of things. I mean, different churches do things in different ways to to gather that. But it's it's all about, as you say, Mark, you're bringing back what does it mean to be physical and spiritual as the church? Mm. It's, it's a huge, huge thing. Mm. No, you're right. And I think what's interesting, Aaron, I'm very interested that you mentioned the kind of term Gnosticism, which for folks who are not familiar with that, that's the kind of ancient kind of sort of a uh, Greek idea that, you know, the material world, this world of of stuff is, is bad. The world of spirit and, and mind is good. And basically, you're, you know, your job as a religious person is you want to get away from the material world and into the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And Christians have fallen into that into that trap. I mean, I remember, you know, sort of picking up the idea as a young Christian that, you know, the whole point about being a Christian was to escape this world and and, and, and float on in heaven, you know, playing a sort of virtual harp or something. And to go, whatever that is, that's not the gospel. But it is interesting that, that I think Christians, we've always struggled with this. We struggled with that, you know, in church history where that temptation uh, came along. We struggle with it in you know, worship services, sometimes we struggle with it in, in sometimes in churches where we put an overemphasis on the sermon. And it's all about the sermon. It's all about getting that mental content mm-hmm. into your head. Mm-hmm. But there's something about mm-hmm. about biblical spirituality that, that, as you say, is grounded and earthy. You know, Jesus, you know, came in the flesh. He didn't come and float around as a spirit when he rose from the, the dead with this resurrection body that wasn't sort of so what wasn't sort of immaterial such that it could pass through doors. It was more that it's more physical than the doors. Yeah. C.S. Lewis's kind of yeah. point. What does he do yeah. with his disciples? He sits and has breakfast with them. All the resurrection appearances have that physical quality. Mm-hmm. And then as the New Testament church begins, you know, meeting together and being in in person in twos and threes and, and larger groups is is absolutely important. There's that earthy quality, isn't there, to, to I think, to Christian discipleship, that we we lose our peril, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think that there's something, uh, funnily enough, it reminds me of uh, so, uh, something we used to run here at Cliff College uh, a few years ago before I arrived here, um, where one of the mo- there was a module in pioneering mission, and the assessment for this module we kind of got rid of it quite soon on because we realized there were kind of ethical issues the the assessment was you had to set up a church online um, as the assessment for the module um and obviously students liked that because it meant they had a, a way of actually you know engaging with the content of the course and practically putting it into, into action by actually doing something doing the stuff in um uh, in those it's the old john wimber terms so, so they're not just talking about it in theory and so it was nice that they got to do that but the problem was None, none of these churches ever ended up being anything, and and they, they you know, you could also have the ethical issue of people doing uh, setting up a church purely to pass an assessment that they don't actually care about the people. And it was interesting that um, that was happening. That those kind of reflections on online church have been happening for about twenty years, and people kind of thinking and reflecting on them, but usually off to the side because we've had to have it all in the in in the kind of foreground now with everything going on. Um, it's meant that. We're almost drifting into that automatically. But when when we did take that that unit away, that kind of module, uh, we had people sometimes saying, "Oh, why didn't you know? Why have you taken that away?" I thought that was a fantastic module. And I asked the person, "Did you do that module when you were here?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah, it was great." So, did you set up an online church? Yeah, it was brilliant. I got a good mark for that one. Is your church still going? And never, no, no, of course not. <laughs> and they never still go because those things. There's such an easy buy-in. There's also an mm-hmm. easy exit. So, um, it, it doesn't do that and part of that that's what yeah. you're saying andy the stuff about the physicality means you you're there's a buy-in that you've kind of committed to isn't it yeah mm. two two things i've got two more things i want to talk about in our kind of remaining kind of sort of 10 minutes or or so um both of which we've kind of touched on in different ways but i'd like to dig down into, into a little bit more detail here so mm. i either of you uh folks can can pick up on this uh this first one i was um 
early on in the lockdown, I was um, I had the privilege of doing an interview um, for Christianity Today with uh, with N.T. Wright. It's great to name drop, isn't it? I, I'm only asking this question because I can then drop that in and go. I got to talk to. Are you talking to NT Wright or are you talking to Tom Wright? I mean, like, well, I know, yeah, it's confusing, it's right. conversation. I mean, that's he's even very, more. Very, he, I mean, he's a funny guy. He, most times through the interview, he was going, so remind me, who are you again? Which was good for my humility. <laughs> he said something at that interview that really intrigued me. He was talking about online church. We, we covered that in the interview. And he said, he said, look, he said, I think, I think as he put it, e-church, electronic church, has so many good things going for it and so many things it can help us with, especially right now in the pandemic. He said, but my worry is that e-church very easily becomes P-church, personal church. Mm. And to go suddenly church now becomes on on your you know terms you know you listen to it you know i've had people say to me oh, I, I love online church right now because because i i don't listen to it live i listen to the sermon you know in the bath or in my pajamas while doing the washing up and also or i think one of you earlier said you know you can go and curate your own church you get the you get the worship from perhaps you know uh you know sort of you know vineyard or something where you really like their worship and then you can get a sermon from tim keller because he's really great and you mash it all together but it's all on your terms and I just think I wonder if that worries me slightly because isn't there something about church that actually needs to be not on our terms? Maybe it's inconvenient to us because part of the job of church is to kind of knock the edges off our character as we are made into disciples and following Christ. Mm. So how do we stop e-church becoming p-church as 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 Tom or NT, depending on what mood you're in, um, <laughs> suggested? <laughs> Aaron, go for it. I'll go for it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought I'd spoken too much. But I thought I was giving you, but yeah, I, I think um, you know, it, it's 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 something that as, I think some of the stuff we've already been saying really to say that that there has to be buy-in, there has to be a sense in which it, it's costly, like the, as Bonhoeffer's term of costly discipleship. You don't want cheap grace where you're sort of saying, right, it's just easy to join and, and everything's completely fine. We, we for too long probably churches um, made a situation where we're so desperate to get people in the door or on the roster. That we lower the bar um, for everything. I don't, I don't. I don't mean like you know we should raise the bar in terms of creating some <laughs> reversion of the Old Testament mm. uh, covenant or something. But I mean the sense in which we sell the church via our websites and things like that as the best church with the best coffee, with the youngest people, the coolest people. We've got Andy Bannister. We've got a Michael Lotz, kind of in touch with culture, and all the websites look the same. I find it odd that almost all sort of evangelical church websites look roughly the same they almost get the same kind of designer to do it almost um, and this it does convey a kind of message uh, about we are we are selling you a product and you are consuming this product and you can come and be part of this and it is a real thing that they're not pretending this is they're not trying to make consumers but it just indirectly does become that because it's all on your terms and it's the kind of it appeals to your own um uh, your own kind of assumptions about what church should be so that equally if you can be that choosy about which church you join because you like this or that or the kids works good here or not good there whatever you can e- equally leave it and just hop around and go to another one i think we have that as a huge problem in the west in ways you know you mentioned north korea earlier andy uh, they don't have the luxury to just sort of choose from several mm. churches in their local area that they can just choose based on whether they like the preacher or not and that's kind of quite it's it's a scary thought for the church in the west because so many of us are in churches mm. and ha- i don't want to there could be more awkward questions about you know there's the there's, there's a theological concept of the visible and the invisible church which can relate to those who are believers that you can't you don't know if they're believers or not but there's also those who you think might be believers but aren't and there, there might be a fair mm. f- more fair few more of those than we'd realize in the western church at large <laughs> because mm. it's an easy buy-in so it's an easy buy-out 
Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I've got one last question. And since Aaron, you've, you, you, you've talked a lot and you know, Michael is such, for those who know him, he is such an introvert getting him to say <laughs> is, 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 is really, really tough. Whereas, you know, Aaron, it's more like, you know, donkey and Shrek getting him to stop is the challenge, but um, <laughs> it's great being the host for a week. I know next time we're going to have someone else hosting and I'll be on the return. Yeah. We'll see. Retreat. We'll see what happens then. Well, I've got yeah. the power. I shall use it. Um, Hey, Michael, have a go at this one. One last question I wanted to think about was um, a very interesting story that I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's, um, whose church obviously had had to stop because of lockdown, as many churches have. And they've now begun, they've got a, a committee figuring out the reopening stuff. And uh, his, his wife is a, is, a, is a busy medic and uh, has been on the diaconate for some years. And early on in this discussion around reopening, said, look, whatever happens with the reopening, it can't go back to the old way. Should I burnt myself out? For the last 20 years, I have done so many things at church whilst being a busy GP, and I'm exhausted. And mm. I've quite enjoyed lockdown, actually, because it's just been a chance to breathe. And mm. then she wanted to say, look, I think one of the challenges in, the, in our church is that we've made the Sunday morning the centre of everything, and we've all become slaves to mm. that. How can we rethink some things so that maybe more people are involved? Perhaps we don't try and be as professional. And so that actually church on a Sunday can be something everyone enjoys rather than a, a few people work so stupidly hard mm. and the rest sit there and do nothing. I remember thinking, wow, there's so many things in there about some of the ways we've done church, particularly the way that maybe we've made Sunday morning, that, you know, the, 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 the kind of thing that consumes everything else, all the resources go into the Sunday morning service. And then we begin forgetting about things like discipleship and, and small groups and youth work and evangelism and, and stuff. Is there, one of the positives in this, a real opportunity to rethink some ways that we do church so that it's more liberating and refreshing rather than a rod that breaks some people's backs? Michael, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was interesting. I was just chatting to someone quite recently. They're saying, you know, we've we've found a way of doing church that's become more and more onerous. That takes you know bigger and bigger staff teams, bigger and bigger finances, just to try and operate. You know, and and actually, we're pouring all of these resources in, uh, but what are we actually achieving? What are we actually doing through that, other than maintaining a, a structure um, and uh, and a mm-hmm. system? So. I don't know. I think for us, you know, personal reflection for us, the best thing about um, uh, the first lockdown, especially, was was not actually the online church services that we watched. We really didn't get much out of those. Um, but actually, what we really um, found beneficial was just a small group. We met once a week. Um, uh, someone took it in turns to share something devotionally from scripture. Uh, we shared how we were doing. We prayed for each other. Um and it took about an hour, but actually, that was a really precious time each week, and and actually, that that struck me because actually, if you think about all the kind of the one another's of the New Testament, so many of the one another's we can't do on a Sunday morning anyway when we just sit and watch a show. Mm. Um, they are the kind of things that require interaction, probably small groups, um, things like that. And so maybe the rediscovery of the value of small groups, I think, has been a really significant thing during this time because, you know, Zoom works well for a, a small group, particularly a very small group, you know, five or six people. Um, it's it's a lot harder when you're dealing with massive numbers. Um, so the value of small groups, I think, has been key. I think someone else said something recently that struck me. They said, um, out of all the things that we've done on Zoom, prayer meetings are probably about the best thing. Um, because, you know, they don't take lots of organisation. They don't take, like, they're not a big show. And people are involved. They're going there to pray, not just to listen or to watch. Mm. And so maybe a rediscovery of, of prayer through that. So 
certainly participation is is key and um it'll be interesting to see you know how things come out of this as things start to open up again i certainly don't feel we'll just be reverting to you know the way we were um hopefully there will be lessons learned through it Hmm. well that's that's been a fantastic discussion over the last half hour we've covered uh, so much uh, in there so uh so aaron and uh and michael just thanks for taking the time it's been really great to, to be together as the three of us uh discussing this so uh so, so thanks for all of your contributions thank you and uh for all of you listening at home i thought you found that found this helpful this is very much an experimental podcast we haven't even got a name yet we're not sure how regularly we'll be broadcasting and we don't even know whether michael will be allowed back on this after some of the things uh, he said we can see the phones lighting up already um but we do hope we're doing this from time to time, taking a look at some of the biggest issues of the day and chewing around them from a Christian perspective. So uh, until next time, um, have a stay safe and uh, and we hope to be with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye. Bye bye.